Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, for more on Walter's music. Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVMFM. We appreciate that for sure. If you would like to reach out to me, Nave at jamesnave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. I would love to hear from you. I'd like to remind you we are sponsored by the Imaginative Storm Writing Project. If you would like to improve your writing, imaginativestorm.com is a good place to take a look. Today I'm doing a solo show, which means no guest. I'm recording in Black Mountain, North Carolina, actually five miles west of Black Mountain, at Lake Eden Retreats, which is a beautiful piece of property owned by Jennifer Pickering and her husband, Lee Mayer. And Jennifer and Lee run a retreat business here, a wedding business, and they invited me to come and spend a month as the first poet-in-residence at Mountain Stream, which is a large house built in 1923 by E.W. Grove, who also designed and built the Grove Park Inn in Asheville. And the Grove Park Inn is famous because it's built out of stones. Beautiful, large building, very active. It's a resort even today with a golf course and great restaurants and massive fireplaces on the inside. If you have a chance to go in and take a look, uh, you'll be amazed at the size of the fireplaces. Of course, all built out of stone. Many years ago, I was asked to come to the Grove Park Inn and perform A Child's Christmas in Wales by Dylan Thomas during the Christmas season. As you might imagine, the place was decked out, decked the halls with boughs of holly. Well, they went way past holly, and of course, the fireplaces were roaring. The big fires were burning, and people were gathered round having their Christmas cheer. It was great fun. And after I finished performing A Child's Christmas in Wales, I sat around the Christmas fire myself and enjoyed it, along with everybody else. It's July now. It is not Christmas, and I am at Mountain Stream, and the fireplace here has no fire in it, although it's built out of the same kind of stones that Grove used at the Grove Park Inn. I have been sitting on the porch, and there's a stream that runs near the porch, and you can hear it bubble and gurgle as it goes by. I'm planning on doing, or hosting, a writer's retreat here next May. I'm working on it now. I don't have the details worked out. But I can see people coming and being here and enjoying this environment and generating writing and working with some other writers. So I'm very excited about that. And also, this is the location for the former Black Mountain College. In fact, Mountain Stream is the former administration building for Black Mountain College. So we have some historical references going on here as well. So it's a real pleasure to be here as the first poet in residence. I've gotten a little bit of poetry written. I've done a fair amount of Instagram reels. Does that count? I don't know. Maybe it does. I've been taking care of a dog named Chewy. Chewy must be a million years old. Actually, Chewy's not a million years old. Chewy is rather old, though, and totters around a bit and has a terrific personality. And Jennifer Pickering, who actually is Chewy's mother, 
has added a, a couple of feathers, a yellow and a green feather to Chewie's fur. So Chewie is a hippie dog. And I didn't realize how much I enjoyed having a dog in my life till I had the opportunity to spend the last three weeks with Chewie. I've always thought of myself as a bit aloof. Well, guess what? I might be a dog person. It's good fun, especially taking Chewie down to the lake and having Chewie romp around in the water. Chewie's hot. She has lots and lots of fur, so she enjoys the, the romp around. So yay for Chewie. And for those of you who have a dog in your life or a cat or other pets, you probably understand what I mean about connecting with a, a dog like Chewie. Everybody loves Chewie, even, even though Chewie waddles around and doesn't seem to be able to see that well. But, but I don't know. I'm not Chewie, and I can't really say, although occasionally Chewie does seem to get turned around and goes one way when I think Chewie wants to go another. But hey, Chewie's having a good time, and, and why not? It's summertime in western North Carolina. My stay here will end in a few days. I'm headed back west through St. Louis to visit Walter Parks, who provides our theme song, and then go to Boulder, Colorado to record 100 Days, a poetic memoir after cancer with a fellow named Steve Rush, audiobook. I'm looking forward to working with Steve. He recorded many, many of the authors who are associated with a company called Sounds True. Steve's now freelance, so I'll see how that all goes. I like doing vocal stuff. Obviously, here I am recording this show for you right now. That said, audiobooks challenge me. I've not done many of them. In fact, I've attempted a few, and I've always felt a little bit insecure about it. So I'm hoping because Steve has spent so much time working with other people, he'll be able to give me a, a security blanket or a security support that I need in order to re record the book. It's, it's a book of poetry, so it's not that, that hefty, really. Even so, I'm not nervous, but I am aware that when I get in front of that mic, I'll, I'll have to rise to the occasion. And I, I, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. After that, I'm headed back down to Taos. Now, the reason I'm going solo today is because I recently, maybe three or four days ago, got an email from a person whom I'd never met in my entire life. She heard about me through my friend Lynn Burney, who has an executive coaching school in Paris. I've known Lynn since we first started collaborating in 2006 on a few small writing workshops. And since then, we've done lots of things together. I helped her with a book that she wanted to write. I was her manuscript coach, and she wrote a terrific book, Once a Pilgrim, Always a Coach. It's about her journey to the tomb of St. James in Spain over a four-year period. She and her husband took the trek, and, and it became this lovely memoir as well as a book about coaching. Thus, once a pilgrim, always a coach. So when the email arrived from this person I didn't know, Maria Masacheva, Masacheva is a Russian name, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right. And the reason I'm a little uncertain about how to pronounce Maria's last name is because when we connected on Zoom, she had sent me the email asking me to participate in something she was organizing, an online event that's going to happen in October. So when we connected on Zoom, we referred to each other 
with by our first names. I called her Maria, and she called me James. Some people call me Nave, but when folks first meet me, they call me James. So Maria and I talked at great length about this program that she's putting together. It's an online program, and it's going to happen in October, and it's all about creativity. So when I connected with Maria, I had not done much research. I just responded to the email. And because Lynn Burney had recommended me to Maria, I felt connected already before we ever got into any of the details about what she wanted me to do. So because we started out on a first name basis, I forgot to ask her how she pronounced her last name. Even so, her first name is Maria, and I know I have that right. And she was calling me because she's organizing an event that's going to be online. It's called Unisono, October 7th through 8th, 2023. And she's invited 10 artists to come, and she wanted me to consider joining the, the event. So I said, sure, I'd be happy to do it. And as you probably already know, when someone asks you to do something, they request a bio and a picture, so I sent that on. And then I did a little bit of research to see exactly what everybody was going to be talking about. Probably a good idea, right? So when I looked at the offering, I noticed the topics that Maria and her invited guests were planning on discussing. So what I would like to do now is to do a little imaginative storm exploration around these topics that Maria's group will be discussing in October. So I'd like to start this exploration by reading the mission statement and the questions that follow it. So here's the, here's the mission statement. Art, as the highest manifestation of the human spirit, its connection with something greater than itself, and its contact with our conscious and unconscious can be a fantastic support in transitioning to a more aware understanding of life. So right away, if we were in a group of people, you can see how this one mission statement could generate a tremendous amount of conversation. For example, is art the highest manifestation of the human spirit? Well, I believe if it's not exactly the highest manifestation of the human spirit, it certainly is way up there. Does art have a connection with something greater than itself? Or is art the artifact that we produce, we call art, like the painting, and the experience of generating the painting, is that the greater connection to something greater than the art itself? Our conscious and our unconscious, how closely do they interact? And can art, doing all of this, can it be a fantastic support in transitioning us to a more aware understanding of life? You can probably report that when you've done something creative, like simply make a meal that's beautiful for somebody you care about, it's an artistic expression from your human spirit connecting something greater than yourself. And it really doesn't have to be all that complicated. So we could spend a great deal of time, maybe an entire week, just talking about how all this works for each of us and the beauty of it. The beauty of this is, no matter who you are, no matter what you do creatively, large or small, when you talk to other people who have done creative things, and we all have, we share similar experiences, like a suspension of time. Time goes by and you don't notice it, 
that warm feeling of satisfaction when you're just doing something because you really want to. Your heart warms up, your whole soul, your whole body warms up, you smile a bit. I believe that's a connection with something greater than yourself. It's a connection to all of us, and that's why you, you warm up. So Maria's mission statement, what we'll discuss in October, I'm behind that. I'm, I'm down for it, for sure. So here are the six questions that follow the mission statement. One, how can artists be guides in this process? Two, what is needed from us to make art more valuable? Three, how can we help others to bring the spiritual mind more into their lives? Four, what does spiritual mind and spirituality mean? And why is it impossible to survive without them? Five, how can we raise our own awareness and creativity to spread it through our art? Six, how can art help us survive and turn the unbearable into the bearable? I like these questions because they're clean questions. What is a clean question, you wonder? A clean question is a question that has no thoughts, assumption, or metaphors built into it. It's just simply there, and you can answer it however you please. So, let's take a run at the first question. How can artists be guides in this process? And the process is art can be a fantastic support in transitioning all of us to a more aware understanding of life. And in that transition, you connect to something greater than yourself, and it's a manifestation of the higher aspirations of the human spirit. How can artists be guides in this process? So when you pull back for a moment and think about guides from a broader perspective, and from that broader perspective, you have to ask, what do guides have in common? You probably know people who are river guides. You probably have met people who are wilderness guides. You've probably met people who will guide you around a park or take you around a city and guide you around the city, showing you the sights. You maybe have a financial advisor, also a guide. You have spiritual guides. You have trainers in gyms who will guide you into fitness. You have yoga teachers who will guide you through a yoga practice. On and on it goes. The thing that all guides have in common, and this includes artists who guide other people through this fantastic process of creating things, what do all of these guides have in common? They're committed to something they absolutely love. And because of their commitment to what they love, their enthusiasm just bubbles over, and it's hard to avoid following them in their enthusiasm, in their joy, in the process of showing you what they have discovered in hopes that you too will catch a bit of the, the joy that they are experiencing, and you will discover some of those deeper truths about life and universal thoughts that they have discovered. So the answer to the first question, how can artists be the guides in this process? To me, the answer is very simple. If you have found something that catches your eye, that intrigues you, that pulls you in, that suspends time, something you say without hesitation when somebody asks you, do you love what you do? 
No pause, absolutely, I love what I do. When you have that kind of emotional connection to something, you're naturally going to feel the connection to the spirit, something greater than you, and also the support that comes from that kind of enthusiasm. Your body just absolutely loves it. It's the right thing in the right moment. And it can be anything from ironing a shirt, mowing the lawn, both not necessarily considered works of art. The finished iron shirt, the finished lawn. While not officially works of art, the feeling you have if you love to iron or you love to garden and make a beautiful lawn is the same feeling an, a visual artist might have painting a painting or an actor might have creating a terrific role or a musician on stage performing at the top of the game. So if you have found something that you love and you feel moved to share it with somebody else, the spirit moves through you, some people would say. That's how, as an artist, you can be a guide in this process of allowing other people to see the same process inside of them. It's a shared effort. It's a shared opportunity. It's a collective consciousness gathering of all the forces. And we, in a sense, can guide each other. We ripple across the lake, many ripples across the lake, rippling all at the same time and overlapping. So that's how we can be guides in this process. And on a more practical note, the more you study your process, the more you study your discipline, your craft, the more you will have to offer other people. So enthusiasm, study, and just showing up. Those are the three things most important when you want to guide people in the process of art, allowing support for transitioning into a more aware understanding of life. So now the second question, what is needed for us to make art more valuable? Well, the first thing that comes to mind when I hear that question, of course, is what does value mean? What does it mean when you say you want to make art more valuable? Well, there's the price tag, the million dollar painting, the painting that costs more than a million or less than a million dollar value. And certainly the dollar value on a piece of art is important. If you buy a piece of art and you collect it, you naturally want it to appreciate. I have friends who collect guitars. Those guitars appreciate. Some people collect cars. Same thing. People collect a lot of things and we can put a dollar value on it. And that's certainly appropriate. And why wouldn't you? It's, it's part of this whole process of valuing. So what is needed to make art more valuable? That's the question. Well, go back to the answer to the first question. The skill, the craft, the dedication, the enthusiasm, all of those things make art more valuable. Is the first piece of art you ever did that you declared art, even if it was a sketch on a piece of paper? What kind of value does that have? Does it have as much value as the piece of art you sold for that million dollars? Now, I have to tell you, I don't know any artist in my circle who sell their art for a million dollars. The point is, you have to start somewhere, and when you do, that beginning start has great, great value. It's the start. It's the origin. It's the, the, the springhead, if you will. 
The mighty Amazon, the greatest river of all, would never exist without springs somewhere up in the mountains. So the beginning, that one little sketch you did, like the springs in the mountains, has great power. I love the idea of the spring being the beginning of all the things that we do, the bubbling up. Uh, Walt Whitman reminds us in one of his poems, he says, there was a child went forth every day, and the first object that child looked upon, that object that child became. So in a sense, we are going forth every day, beginning anew every single day. The beginning, the middle, and the end. That's how a story is laid out. And our end only comes when we finally take our last breath. So really, we're talking about the beginning and the ongoing, which will eventually end. So it may be that all that is needed for us to make art more valuable is to participate in the ongoing, to simply stay with it, to, to do things that bring us joy. And when that happens, value increases because it's more than an art object like the painting having some value to the viewer and that is important I love to look at beautiful paintings but the totality of the process also has great value if we simply allow ourselves to trust that what is needed for us to make art more valuable is our participation a little side note, always remember that when you're participating in this, it gets a little messy, and that's okay. Messy, messy, messy. Art is currency. Art is messy. Mess is currency. Mess has value. You know what I mean? So participate, and the value will emerge, and you will feel really good about it. And when somebody sees what you're doing, they'll be drawn to you, and they might ask you, how can I participate in this joy? And you will say, let me show you how. Here, pick up this brush. So now that you have the brush in hand, let's go on to the third question. How can we help others bring the spiritual mind more into their lives? Awareness is the answer to how you bring the spiritual mind more into your life or into the lives of those people around you. The spiritual mind, the spiritual essence, spirituality is already there. If the spirit has a mind it's the collective mind of all things wrapped up in one infinity so if you can help somebody understand the more aware they are of the gifts they already have the more that spiritual mind the essence of the universe will be available to them to pull energy from so the spiritual mind is everything all wrapped up into one and we're part of that one so coming back to making art and being an artist and creating art and how art can help the awareness to happen it's really just a matter of showing up doing the work and trusting that when you do that your awareness will increase and one of the things i like about this awareness approach to the spiritual mind the more aware you become of what you already have, the more you appreciate it. And unlike some things, you don't forget that awareness. So the awareness builds on itself. So today I'm aware and grateful of the things around me, what I can do, how I can move. Gratitude. Tomorrow, I come at it again, more gratitude. 
And so the more I build on that gratitude, the more I build on my awareness of what's already there, the stronger it feels. The spiritual mind is my mind, is my soul, is my essence. It's also yours. We share it collectively. It's our intelligence, our spiritual intelligence as well. Unlike artificial intelligence, which is a very different thing, in some ways, there may be overlaps and similarities regarding how both systems work. But our spiritual intelligence, our spiritual mind, goes way beyond what we invent as human beings, including artificial intelligence. So we can trust that when we do our work, others will see it, others will come, others will be drawn to it, and back to the ripples on the lake. We can trust that. We don't have to spend too much time getting bundled up on how exactly it will happen. Just know that when the child goes forth, the first object the child looks upon, that object the child becomes, and that object becomes part of the child for a day or a certain part of the day or for many years or stretching cycles of years. The idea of us becoming part of all that we have met for stretching cycles of years, there, that's the spiritual mind. We are a part of all that we have met, yet all experience is an arch where through gleams that untraveled world whose margin fades forever and forever as we move. The horizon, the untraveled world, the distance never changes, but the journey continues on and on. That's the spiritual mind. And I quoted Whitman's A Child Went Forth Every Day and Ulysses by Alfred Lord Tennyson. So how do we help others bring the spiritual mind more into their lives? Maybe it's just by setting an example, allowing the spiritual mind, our spiritual awareness, our awareness of the things around us to be more prominent in our own lives. So when you're aware, somebody notices it, they become more aware, they feel that sense of the spirit moving through them. So now we come to the fourth question. What does spiritual mind and spirituality mean? And why is it impossible to survive without them? This might be an easier question to answer than it first seems. And the reason why is because it's so subjective. Your answer and my answer are very, very different. What does spiritual mind and spirituality mean? I could ask you that and you would tell me something that was on your mind right now, something you just thought of, and that would be the right answer. I can tell you my sense of it, and that would be the right answer. So here's my take on it. The spiritual mind is your willingness to simply allow your yourself, your, your consciousness, which is really hard to measure, nobody's ever done it, but to allow yourself that consciousness that you, you know but can't define, allow it to just be aware of the things around you. And the spiritual mind is also another way of describing the spirit moving through you, that which is always there, the delight you feel in a conversation, the awe you feel when you see something incredible in nature, or just a simple, easy joy you might feel when you take a deep breath and think, well, okay, for right now, things are just fine. And what does spirituality mean? Just a sense of the spirit. I'm aware of the spirit. So the spiritual mind and spirituality 
really interact. They're quite closely related, double first cousins, brothers, sisters, maybe even twins, identical twins perhaps. Very, very close. And the second half of the question is, why is it impossible to survive without them? The answer in my mind to this question is the same answer that you would give if somebody said, how come it's impossible to survive without air? Breathing air, unlike eating food or drinking water, happens involuntarily. The lungs just work and you take in air and you breathe it out and you take more air in and you breathe it out. And even though breathing in and breathing out is involuntary, it is still part of the physical business of being alive. You have to take the oxygen in and then it makes the blood flow and on and on it goes. And if for some reason you're not able to breathe, then you're no longer with us, you die. The spiritual mind and spirituality operate differently. Survival is more about the physical part of being alive, eating, drinking, breathing. The spiritual mind is of a different ilk. It's just simply there and there's no way to really measure if we would survive it if it disappeared because nobody has ever had that experience. I'm of the mind that the spiritual mind, part of the soul, if you will, it's the last thing to go. So you could make the point that the spiritual mind, when it is healthy, spirituality, when you have a, a deep understanding of your environment and a relationship with the, the greater forces beyond you, when you have a good relationship with that, it feeds you, it makes you feel better, it brings you joy. Art does that. We've talked about that already. You make art and you feel better. It affects the chemistry in your body. It makes you more generous, it makes you more open, it makes you more thoughtful, it exercises your brain. The functioning, the physical, actual functioning just gets better. The breath gets better, your food tastes better, the water is better, and on it goes. So it's impossible to survive without spirituality and without the spiritual mind in the sense that if you spend very little time contemplating the spirit, thinking about what's out there beyond you. If you spend almost no time, or if you're one of those cynics that says, there's nothing but me, and there's nothing else out there, it's, it's all emptiness, you might be right. I can't prove it either way. That said, my experience is when I open up to more than just me, I feel better. So over a period of time, if you allow your relationship with your spiritual mind, if you allow your relationship with spirituality to grow, you will feel more wholesome. You will survive longer. If you retreat from it, if you ignore it, if you become just a complete cynic and dismiss the whole thing, likely your time on earth will be less. This is not a scientific thing. This is speculation on my part. So when we get to this question of why is it impossible to survive without the two, I think that might be at least an answer to consider, and you might have another answer as well. If you do have thoughts on it, you can always email me, nave at jamesnave.com. I'd love to hear what you think. Meanwhile, let's move on to the fifth question. Here it is. How can we raise our own awareness and creativity to spread it through our art? The answer to this question lies in the answers to the other four questions. 
All we have to do is engage, trust ourselves, be who we are. Uh, as my mother always said, just be yourself and you'll be fine. And show up, do the work, and never concern yourself with whether you're going to absolutely get anything right, except that you will always have something messy in front of you. And by plowing through the mess, allowing things to be a bit unruly, you'll start to get a sense of satisfaction, an excellent sense of satisfaction. It will feel good. And that sense of goodness, that sense of satisfaction, engages the spiritual mind. It engages your spirituality. Your awareness rises, your creativity engages, and it just simply appears in the art that you're making, whatever the art is. I just had a conversation five minutes ago with a fellow named John who does all of the mooing here at Lake Eden Retreat. And there must be 10 acres of lawn out there. I was always wondering, how did all of these lawns appear? in the mountains, surrounded by these huge trees. John told me 50 years ago, there was a small golf course here. Because it's long stretches of green that aren't that wide, it certainly looks like it could have been a golf course. So why not? Point is, John and his father mow this property. They mow the golf course. They mow the meadows, whatever you want to call them. And John is so proud of how his work turns this place into a thing of beauty. And I told him so. I said, you know, John, this is great. I look at this, this grass all the time and I always marvel at how well, well kept it is. And because you and your father are keeping this grass as well as you are, this place is beautiful. And it wouldn't be that way if you weren't willing to mow it. John smiled, thanked me for the compliment. And then he said, well, I gotta get back to work. Is John raising his own awareness and his creativity and spreading it through his art of mowing the lawn? It certainly looks like it to me. It's the act. It's the showing up. It's being there, starting the lawnmower, sitting on the tractor. It's really not a lawnmower. It's a tractor and driving around. He said to me, we do this every day. There's enough lawn here so that we never finish it till the season ends. There's something really beautiful about that. We've got to do it every day. You've got to mow that lawn every day. And when we do, the lawn is beautiful. So all you have to do is trust that when you pay attention, you raise your awareness, creativity rises, and it spreads throughout your heart. Now we have the fifth question. How does art help us survive? and turn the unbearable into the bearable? That's a little bit of a different question than how can you survive without spirituality and a spiritual mind? How does art help us survive and turn the unbearable into the bearable? Art helps us survive because when we engage in art, when we encounter art, when we see art, it does more than make us feel good. Art has messages built into it. Art offers us insight. Art offers us ways to think about things that maybe we had not considered before. And when your thinking changes, your perspective changes, you are able to 
Have deeper thoughts, and those thoughts likely will help you to survive. Perhaps you're struggling, something is unbearable, and you encounter a piece of art, say a beautiful piece of music, and it lightens the load for a few minutes. It makes the unbearable bearable. And you can scale up or down with art. Go to the great museums and see the artist paintings done over the centuries, the grand ones that we know the names of. You and I know those names. We can go look at that. That will feed us. Or your child creates the first color drawing with a couple of crayons. Mark, mark, mark. Maybe it looks like a flower. Maybe it doesn't. Do you care? No. Is that art? Does that help you survive? Your child hands you this piece. Where does it go? It goes in a frame. It goes on a refrigerator. And years later, that little piece of art may still be hanging on the wall or on the refrigerator. Or maybe the child will have that piece of art. And the child will think back. Sixty years ago, I drew this, and my mother kept it for me. My father kept it for me. So there you are, all those years later, looking at something you did when you were two or three or whatever age you were. Does that make something unbearable in your life today more bearable? I think it actually does. How could it not? And that's the art you look at, the art you consume, if you will. And then there's the art you make. Making art, does it help you survive? Does it turn the unbearable into the bearable? I've talked to a lot of people who tell me that it has. A lot of people will tell me that poetry has saved their lives. A lot of people will tell me that when they started playing music, their entire existence improved. So yeah, people do say, that art helps them survive, making art helps them survive, making things helps them survive. And it's worth lifting up here two different approaches to art and survival and making the unbearable bearable that I've experienced personally. And what I mean by personally, I've seen myself work through some of the unbearable and turn it into bearable, but I've also had a lot of other people tell me they have also had a similar experience. The, the first one, The Artist Way by Julia Cameron. I've worked with that book for years. Julia Cameron and I taught Artist Way creativity camps in Taos in the mid-90s through the early 2000s. And after that, I've been teaching a version of The Artist Way approach for all this time up until now. And I've seen people show up at classes. I've seen people on Zoom calls. They will come in and they have absolutely no idea what to do next. And some will say they are at the end of their rope. They're, I'm finished. I do not know where to go. This is so confusing for me. I'm just going to give up. I don't really know what give up means, but it certainly sometimes sounds like they're dealing with what you could describe as unbearable. And then when they go through the course, and work the work, answer the questions, experiment with what's being offered in terms of the thoughts that are presented by Julia, things start to change. The river clears, the flow starts, synchronicity happens. They engage in work that seems like, on a singular basis, not all that significant. One thing at a time, one little grain of sand, 
not to wear out the cliche, does not make the beach, but it certainly does contribute. And if you didn't have one, you wouldn't have the beach. So people come to the artist way fully expecting to, or at least hoping that something will happen, hoping that they will have a burden lifted. And sure enough, it happens. And it's really about each person putting the questions on the front burner, the questions of, of, of their life, putting themselves first. I am going to be first in this, this series of inquiries that I'm now going to make. Everybody else can take second fiddle place. Doesn't mean the second fiddle is unimportant. It just means that for now, I'm playing front of the, of the band. And when that happens, people really do engage and they really make things, things happen for them. Do people create in a very short period of time some wonder art piece that will hang on the walls of some great museum for a hundred years? I haven't seen that. I have seen people make a start. And like I said earlier, the start that you made when you were a little child has as much value and significance as any grand piece you finally hang on a wall somewhere. And I have known a lot of people, once they start their engagement with their creative process, it takes very little time for the, for the satisfaction to emerge. And then from there, very little time for something to come out that has some meaning for somebody else who's viewing it. So it's, it's really significant when people show up and they do their work and all this that we've discussed up until now comes to bear in this moment. Yeah, you can make the unbearable bearable and you really don't have to make it all that complicated. You can just get some crayons and a blank sheet of paper and draw like you drew when you were three and, and that'll start. That'll do the trick. That'll get your imagination moving, your imagination dancing, your imagination flowing. Uh, from the imaginative storm to the creative form, that's a project that I work with and with my creative collaborator, Allegra Houston. And the idea there is let your imagination be messy. Take form later. Let your rational mind do its work. Give your rational mind something to do, and then you make something. And when that happens you smile. And when you're smiling, the, the, the whole world is bright. What is it when Irish eyes are smiling, the whole world is bright? My grandmother used to say, well, I imagine when Irish eyes are smiling, it wouldn't matter where you are in the world. If your eyes are smiling, things are bright. So when your eyes are bright and you're smiling, survival, a little easier. The unbearable becomes bearable. Poetry. How does poetry play into this? I have had more experiences with people who have come to open mics, the spoken word venues, sign their name, step up, read something they just wrote. Maybe it's not that great. Maybe they just wrote it and they thought, I'm just going to give this a spin. But I've watched them engage in this work, standing on those mics. Many, many people have done this. And two or three years later, you see them somewhere else at another open mic, 
And my goodness, the difference is amazing. They, they, really, they really have traction. They really understand how to present. They, they've written something that's really, really incredible. And the folks in the room lean into it and go, wow. And when the reader is finished, the performer, the spoken word artist, standing ovation. People just clap and they cheer and they cheer. And I have talked to more than one person after having seen them do such a thing as I just described. Talk to more than one person and they will say, you know, poetry saved my life. I walked through the door a few years ago and I felt like I had nothing to live for. Absolutely nothing. And when the person at the door said, please sign your name. Yes, please. You are welcome. Come home. The stage, the microphone, that's your home. You can be part of our family, the family of the poets, the community of the poets. The act of just allowing the person to walk through the door and step up onto the stage and say something in the mic didn't matter. Good, bad, does that even have any significance in this conversation? Well, it might if you really want to craft your work over a long period of time and you want to achieve excellence and you devote your life to it, of course it matters. We all want to present something that has great significance to, to somebody. But it doesn't have to wait forever to do that, to make that contribution. The significance can begin the first night you walk up and step out onto the stage. And when you think about the poets and you think about the world and how much is going on in the world today and how the poets all over the world are the people who for reasons that each can tell you and probably very different reasons everybody's driven by by different ways these poets are willing willing to say something willing to stand up make a comment write some verse lead the people in the room to think differently to to respond differently to change their perspective now here in the states you can do this almost anywhere you want there's often a, an open mic within a hundred miles unless you're out in some grand western state and you're on a ranch that's 300 miles big who knows maybe somebody's down at the ranch house running an open mic but mostly you can find venues anywhere you go and somebody's doing it small or large and it's very easy to step up to the mic and say whatever you need to say and 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 let poetry soothe you let let your offering soothe the audience in some parts of the world it's a lot more dangerous and you know what i'm saying this is not all idealistic this is not all that easy art can be when you practice it in some countries in the world a very dangerous proposition some states do not like people practicing art and the danger is not some fear that you won't be appreciated the danger is that that you can be disappeared and how many poets and artists and filmmakers and journalists have had that happen to them
And I also will say that here in the States, even though you can go to an open mic and you can step up and you can read your work, you can also get into a great deal of trouble saying your mind in front of some audiences. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why people resist that so much. But they do. And we see it happening in our culture here in the States. We see it all over the world. So there's, there are both ranges here. So in this discussion that we've been having now for almost an hour, I've been talking idealistically about how wonderful art can be and how great it is and how much it heals. And I've been attempting to answer uh, Maria's questions in a, in a way that feels honest for me. And as we close out, as we go forward into our, our worlds, please know that these questions are very important and there's optimism built in to what I've been trying to explore. But also know, and I know you know this because you live life wherever you are, it's not all peaches and cream, it's not all beds of roses. There's a lot of action in the world right now. There's a lot of political action, there's a lot of cultural action, there's a lot of division happening around the U.S., also around the world, conflict, and on it goes. Now, is it worse now than it's ever been? Maybe. Maybe not. Are there more of us now than ever? Absolutely. So we have a lot more opportunities, given all of the variations that exist online and in populations, social changes that are happening, environmental changes that are happening, the digital space happening with artificial intelligence and all of the rest. There are a lot more variables. So the disruption can seem greater. Perhaps it's not. Perhaps percentage-wise it's the same disruption that's always been going on. Perhaps there are just more of us and perhaps we're noticing it. And perhaps because of the volume, because of the size, because of the scale, the stakes seem collectively higher, and they may well be. Individually, the stakes have always been high. If something veers off the porch and drifts down the path into the weeds, and you happen to be on the losing side of that drift into the weeds, you might need a little bit of poetry to, to, to bolster you. You might need a little bit of art to bolster you. On the other hand, when you do encounter that art and you, you need to get out of the weeds and you need to get back on the porch, and that art will inspire you to go onto the porch. It will inspire you. It will inspire you to help other people guide in the process or guide other people in the process. And there will be value. And you can engage your spiritual mind and you will engage your spiritual mind even in the face of, of conflict. And the impossible will start to seem possible. And survival? Of course we won't survive. Eventually we will be gone. The earth will be gone. But for now, we will keep moving. And we can spread our awareness through our creativity. And we can learn how 
to allow ourselves to trust that we do have the capacity to take the unbearable and turn it into the bearable. Does that mean it will be a permanent transformation? Unlikely. How could we live a life without having the unbearable and the bearable almost sometimes walking down the same path off that porch sometimes into the woods hand in hand? And we have all of the other variations that go on as well. That's why art is really important. That's why it is the highest manifestation of the human spirit, I believe. And it can, can connect us and does connect us with something greater than ourselves. The conscious, the unconscious mixes together. And it is a fantastic support for transitioning all of us into a more aware understanding of life. And on that note, my friends, we have arrived at the top of our time together, the top of our hour together. And so it's my pleasure to say thank you for spending this time with me and allowing me to unpack these thoughts. And I will send these thoughts to Maria and hopefully I will add something to her thinking around the event that she wants to do in October. But it's certainly been a pleasure for me to be able to just attempt to do this. I never think of myself as a spiritual person. My name, Nave, comes from the word Nave, which is my original family name. And people will ask me, is that your spiritual name? Is, is Nave your spiritual name, your last name? And I say, well, I've heard that in Spanish it means vessel. In Hebrew it means a deep swelling well. And in French, nave means a little turnip or a bad movie in French slang, le nave. So I have three choices. I like to take the French choice because something about being a little turnip uplifts my, my awareness, makes me more understanding of life, if you will. So again, thank you for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. And you have been listening to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave. We are always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, for more on Walter's music. Devine Dial, thanks for managing WPVMFM. We appreciate it. Here's Hats off to Community Radio. You can always reach out to me, Nave, at jamesnave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. And if you would like to improve your writing chops, you can go to imaginativestorm.com. The Imaginative Storm Project sponsors Twice Five Miles Radio. And when you go to imaginativestorm.com, you will find some tips on how to make your writing better. So... I do hope you can do that. I do appreciate you spending this time with me. I appreciate it ever so much. And I do hope you tune in again sometime soon. And until then, I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line. <laughs>